Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Let me say this. I hope that y'all are not holier on Sunday. I know there was an era of Christians that were like Sunday was the holy day, the Lord's day. And so you're nice today. You talk nice to the kids today. And you're all gracious today. And they know Monday morning is going to be hell on earth. Don't be like that, right? It should be a consistency. You can't have, we're not doing Sabbath. We Every day is holy to the Lord. Amen. We're dedicated to the Lord every day, not just on a particular day. Do your words and actions align with who you present yourself to be aside from Sunday mornings at church? Pastor Bill challenges you to reflect upon this in today's message. As disciples of Jesus, we want our lives to always match up with our words. You can't go preach about Jesus and his love, but then turn around and be hateful towards others. Pastor Bill explains that our transformation with Jesus should be recognizable no matter where we are or whom we're around. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, as he continues his message, Deceivers, Cheaters, and Believers. So anybody that says in order to come to Christ, in order to be saved, you got to believe in Jesus and... I'm not going to say smack them, but I'm going to say, I mean, give them a look that smacks them. Let the, you know, just, just stop right there, right? There's nothing you can add to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All you can do is accept it by faith. You either accept it by faith that you rejected in sin and you'll live with the consequences of either one, but you cannot add anything to it. He did everything. And I believe Paul is going heavy on this for them, reminding them that God did it for you. You were dead in your trespasses and, and uncircumcision of your flesh, but he made you alive. You were dead. He made you alive. It's the, the working, the spiritual power behind the change that happened in your life. It was done by Jesus. And so here's the cool thing with that. If you believe it right, then none of us get to be a big deal. Amen. If we all got saved by believing in the finished work of Jesus, I'm not a big deal. I'm a, I'm a recipient of an awesome gift, right? But it doesn't make me special. It doesn't make me better than. It doesn't make me haughty. It doesn't make me proud. I'm humbled. I'm grateful. Lord, thank you. I'm not better than you. When I, when I go see my brother or my sister who's not there yet, not better than them. Amen? And I think sometimes if Christians, if we get it wrong, if we think somehow we earned it, then you know how we act. We, when you think you earned something, you act like you act like you earned it. You, you turn your nose up. You, you, oh, you still dressing like that? No, I, I, I changed my I changed my whole life last year. Yeah, yeah, I don't dress like that. No, you you still are you still drinking? Oh, my, I, 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 no. That's how people act that feel like like you did it. You take some pride in it, but when you realize that it's all a gift, there's a humility about it. I haven't had a drink, y'all, since 1995. But you know what? That is, it's the grace of God. I can never boast in that. I'm humbled by that. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for God helping me do what I could not do. But if I, if I get next to somebody that's, I'm like, man, I, what I do know is who could help, right? I know I'm not better because I was you one day. I was, I was you until God intervened and helped me. So there, there has to be a humility about how we walk this thing out. So we don't become proud. We don't become spiritually cocky. We're just grateful. I like how Greg Laurie said it. Greg Laurie said, I'm just a beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find food i found him now i'm trying to direct you to where you can go get some too amen and so if we believe it right i think we'll live it out right there'll be a gratefulness to believers there'll be a humility about a sweet humility there's nothing worse than a prideful christian y'all know that 
There's nothing that's more of a turn off than, than the Christian that's like, do everything right and you don't. <laughs> you know, no, it's not attractive at all. Nobody's coming to Christ because of that person. And so you don't want to be that guy. But that's what they were living with back then. This was the Jews. They were like, oh, we, we don't eat that. Oh, we don't drink that. Oh, you're going to have bacon? Mm, we're kosher. You know, it's ill. Like, that was how they were getting down. And so imagine that seeping into the church. Worse, imagine Christians starting to buy into it. And so you have a group of us, we're going to have a potluck. And some of you guys have been enlightened with the false teaching. You're like, yeah, we're not going to be eating that. And you guys separate yourself. We're, you know, we're going to sit over here because some of you guys over there, looks like you guys are eating bacon again. So we don't eat bacon <laughs> We only eat whatever you only eat or whatever. Imagine that seeping into the church and that there be people in the church that somehow feel like I'm a little better than you or a lot better than you because of what I don't do. When in reality, if we understand the gospel right, we're all the same. We're all sinners. We're all in need of the grace of God. And we all have been recipients of God's grace. None of us are deserving of credit in any way. So we just got to be careful about these things. And so Paul is, is educating the Colossians, but these things were written for us as well. And so let's continue on. He says now in verse 14, I love this. I love verses 14 and 15. It says, this is what Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection did to the work of the enemy. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Two things. I'm going to hit verse 14 first. There was a handwriting of requirements that was against you and me, right? All of God's laws and all of God's, if you just, just take the 10 commandments. There's way more than 10 commandments. Y'all all know y'all guilty of breaking the commandments. Amen. How many of us have ever told a lie before? If you don't raise it up quick, you're lying right now, okay? So you could do a real quick, you know, law test, and we'd all fail real quick. You know, how many have stolen something before? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> just, just keep them down, right? Just We've broken laws, and so the Bible says if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. We're all guilty, right? The law holds us guilty. It's, it's against me. But it says here that he took the handwriting of requirements that was against us, and this is what Jesus did to it. He nailed it to the tree. He nailed it to the tree. Now, if this would have meant something to them back then in Roman culture, right? If you had a debt that, that you had to pay when you finally paid your debt, they would nail it up as a symbol that you no longer were in debt here. When he said that Jesus took all the things that were against me and you, and because of our faith in him, he nailed it to the tree. It was on the cross that he said, that's paid. And it's public. Put it up publicly. Everybody can see your debt, my debt. Our sin debt is paid. This is the most important debt, right? It's the one debt we can never pay. Some of y'all are here today and you have debts. Now, maybe by the grace of God, you'll be able to pay off those debts. Some of you are like, I'm never going to be able to pay off my debts. Some of y'all praying for the rapture so you can get out of your debts, right? But there's some debts on earth you may or may not be able to pay them. You know, I pray you can take care of your debts, right? But the debt that you can never pay is your sin debt. You can never pay it. The wages of sin is what? Death. So that's, I don't want to pay that debt. So Jesus paid it for me and he paid it in full and he nailed it to the tree. I go free. You go free. Our debt has been paid. I want you to think about that, right? Just the, the enormity of your sin debt and the fact that Jesus says, I paid it in full and I put it up publicly. I did a public thing for you. When I died on the cross in public, that was me taking the handwriting of requirements against you. And I nailed them to the cross. And so everybody knows your debt's paid. 
You know, God knows the unseen. We're going to see in a moment, the principality of the power they know. So the handwriting is a requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Then look at verse 15. It says having disarmed. So he's taken away power from these entities, having disarmed principalities and powers. This is the, the unseen demonic realm, right? Y- y'all know that we have spiritual enemies and adversaries in the unseen realm. Jesus says, look, through the cross, I disarmed your enemies. I took their weapons away from them, right? They don't have, they got nothing for you. Now, when you were not a believer, Satan and his demons, they got free access to a non-believer. You have no covering or no protection as a non-believer. The Bible says that if you're not a child of God, you're a child of who? You're a child of the devil. He got, the Satan is your daddy. He got full access to you. When you come to faith in Christ, God said, now you become mine. And I've disarmed your enemies. They hate you. They're coming for you. They wish they could, but I've disarmed them. So we need to understand that because some people so elevate demonic. Oh, the devil getting busy with me. Let me just say this in all humility. I'm going to say this to y'all. There's one devil and many demons, right? The devil probably is not worried about us. You know, it's only one of him. So I'm, I'm guessing that he has bigger fish to fry than us, right? There is a demonic realm. There is spiritual warfare. There is demonic attack. And we'll experience that as we press into what God has. But no, you should remember this, that what Jesus says concerning your salvation, concerning your relationship with God, God said, look, I just, Jesus said, I disarmed them. I need to be confident that the Satan can't do anything in my life that God doesn't permit, right? In order for Satan to do something, the enemy to do something in my life, it's got to be something God says, I'm going to let that go by. And if God lets something go by, he's got purpose on it because all things are working together for the good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Amen. And so we, you know, we read Job not too long ago and, you know, Job went through some things. Job had, you know, the enemy steal his stuff, take his things, kill his kids. I mean, he, all the worst scenarios you could think of jacked up his health and God permitted each thing to go so far, but there was purpose on that. There was something God intended to do in Job and with Job and through Job. And you, you got to go through to the end of the book to get there. None of us want that. None of us want the testimony of Job. Job didn't want the testimony of Job, but he got it, right? So he's okay today, I promise. He's all right. He's not mad at God. He's all right today. So it says that he's disarmed the principalities and powers. And this is it too. It says he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So God didn't just take away their their power. He says he made a public spectacle. Jesus clowned the enemy. I got to lay this out, right? I believe Satan thought when he was killing Jesus on the cross, I believe that there was a demonic, like, yes, we got him. We got him right where we want him. I believe that it was all the work of Satan to get him to the cross. Satan filled Judas Iscariot, who was a, who was a fraud from the beginning and possessed him. And he went and did what he did and, you know, turned Jesus over. And I believe they thought we got him. We killed the Messiah. And I guess not understanding all the prophetic texts, they didn't understand that in three days, they should be looking out. But in three days, when Jesus rose from the grave, that had to be the biggest in your face to the devil. Like, like now, if they had known what that was going to do, they would have never killed him. They would have never done it. They just wouldn't have done what they did had they known. But when he rose from the grave, he conquered sin, death, and Satan. I say that every time we pray for people to receive the Lord, he conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered death. He defeated all those things in the resurrection because Satan thought he killed him. Jesus just displayed in the resurrection. I got power over death. What do you do to someone that can't be killed? Nothing. 
You, how do you stop him? How do you, how do you defeat the one that has power over the grave? You can't, can't do nothing to him. And so Jesus said, look, I made a public spectacle of them. They thought they had it done. And I made a public spectacle. I don't know how many guys, we guys watch, uh, you know, I watch martial arts and UFC. There was a fight and, uh, you know, sometimes these guys, these guys aren't, many of them are not believers. And so if you get a real good grudge match where two guys really, really, really want to win bad, sometimes the guy that finally wins, he clowns, right? And so that was the case last night. A guy that really, really wanted to win, they both hate each other and all this stuff. He won and he did some real disrespectful things after he won. Even did he start breakdancing in the ring afterwards. It was like, it was his way of saying, like, I, I, I owned you. Like, don't, don't never say nothing to me again. Now, Jesus, without the sinful component, it said, I've made a public spectacle of the enemy. I've clowned the enemy. He has nothing for me, the enemy. And I did this for you, he would say, right? He did all this for you and me that we should be so confident, y'all, in Jesus. We should be so grateful for what God has done for us. And one of the things that will keep us from doing is trying to trying to do it ourselves, right? I don't got to be dealing with Satan. God has already triumphed over the devil. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to one up you or, or somebody else. I'm saying we, we, we're blessed. We're on the, we're on the same team. We're, we're in the family of God together. We're going to heaven together because of what he did for us. And I just think it's so important that as believers, we have it right. That we understand that among us, we're all the same. We may have different gifts. We may have different callings. We may be at different places in our walk with the Lord. Some of us just getting going. Some of us been going a long time. Some of us returning back to the Lord. We may be in all kinds of different places, but we're the same. We entered in the same way. So none of us get to be a big deal. There should be sweet humility among believers. Worship should be sweet. When we come together, it should be easy for us to all look to Jesus. And just to worship him together. We, we, when we all come together, we worship, we come together, we praise the Lord. It's, it's us coming together saying, man, we're a group of people that are all saying, yes, him. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. We can sing it in unison. We can sing it with one heart and one mind. We're people that love the Lord together. And hopefully it overflows into us being a witness to others for him together. But a proper understanding of all that Christ done will keep us from trying to somehow do it ourselves. Trying to somehow, you know, do something to put me up spiritually, to make me better than or make me more acceptable to the Lord. I need to understand that I can never do anything to make me more acceptable. I can just respond. For the rest of my life, I can respond to the goodness of God in my life. And so moving on now, look at verse 16. So we get another, this is where he says in verse 16, so let no one judge you, right? If God did all this, God has whooped your enemies He's wiped out the, the handwriting, the requirements that was against you. He's, he's made a public spectacle of Satan and the demons that were coming for you. He says, so therefore, don't let anybody judge you. And this is the, the list of things he gives us. In food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Notice Sabbaths is pure, plural. There were different Sabbaths that they observed as Jews. And so these were all Jewish customs. They had certain festivals. And if, you know, are you guys going to go? Oh, you didn't go to the festival because you're supposed to go to the festival because the festival is like somehow that's how we stay right with God at the festival or, or eating and drinking. They have many dietary restrictions. And so you got people today that'll go to Leviticus and look at the dietary restrictions in Leviticus and then come to you and say, you shouldn't be eating that crab. Are you going to eat them scrimps? Because Leviticus says you shouldn't be eating none of these sea creatures and whatnot, right? So it's important that we, I know I got some shrimp folk here today. Y'all, y'all like, 
make it right for me, pastor. So, you know, those, you look at Leviticus, it was written to a certain group of people under a certain covenant. You come to the New Testament and Paul told Timothy, look, everything, everything is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So when you're going to eat, thank God for it. We're not under those restrictions. We're not Levites. We're not serving as Levites or priests or any of those things. We're under a different covenant and a different era and a different relationship with the Lord. So I can't let someone pull that stuff out. And, and now, now I'm under those restrictions. Now, if you decide not to eat shrimp because of a health issue, or you're trying to, you know, you're trying to get slim and trim or whatever, that's cool, right? If you decide you're not going to eat bacon because you want to get fit. That's cool. But don't make it spiritual, right? Don't try to make it like, well, you, I'm closer to Jesus because I don't. And that's what they were doing here. They were saying, so, so Paul said, look, don't let anybody judge you in regard to food or drink, regarding these festivals or new moons. And then he says Sabbaths. So I want to hit this one real quick because we have, you know, people that seven day Adventist churches and they're different types, right? Some seven day Adventists kind of hold it lightly, but they believe the Sabbath is the original Sabbath Saturday and you should observe it. Your hardcore seven day Adventists believe that we're going to hell for worshiping on Sunday, right? That's what they believe. They would be wrong for that. That would be an error. You know, and then you take them to this and they got a whole explanation of why this don't apply. But this says right here, let nobody judge me in regard to Sabbath. So when someone say you're not on the news, ah, Colossians tells me that you cannot judge me. So shut it up. I don't hear it. I'm not receiving it from you. I'm not saved by what day I worship on. You know, the Bible says that, you know, one man seems one day this way. Another man seems another day. He says, let everyone be convinced in their own mind. Y'all can worship God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever. Any day, every day, you can worship the Lord. There's not a day, right? And so let me say this. I hope that y'all are not holier on Sunday. I know there was an era of Christians that were like Sunday was the holy day, the Lord's day. And so you're nice today. You talk nice to the kids today and you're all gracious today. And they know Monday morning is going to be hell on earth. Don't be like that, right? It should be a consistency. You can't have, we're not doing Sabbath. We, every day is holy to the Lord. Amen. And we're dedicated to the Lord every day, not just on a particular day, but important here. He says, let no one judge you. So I'm not going to allow anyone to bring me into judgment about dietary restrictions, things that God has not been part of how I got right with the Lord. I'm made right with the Lord because of the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Let not what I eat, not what I drink, not where I go, not where they I worship, but the finished work of Jesus. Therefore, you can't judge me on these things. And then he says in verse 17, so let no one judge you in food, drink regarding festival, new moon, Sabbath. Verse 17 says, which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ. So those festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths, those were all pictures of what was to come. Even the food, even some of what they would eat, there'd be the, the different bread and different things. And it was leaven. It was unleavened bread. So bread without the yeast in it, you know, and the bread without the leaven in it. leaven was symbolic of what of sin. And so it was bread without the sin in it. And so Jesus would come and be the bread of life, right? The one without the sin in them. All these things were pictures to just prepare us to get ready to receive Jesus. And these guys are not receiving Jesus, but they still want to do the stuff, right? You know, it's oftentimes for communion, we eat that nasty. Y'all know unleavened bread is nasty, right? As you eat it, y'all be choking through it. You, the juice is not enough to knock it down your throat. We, we could go ahead and have like Hawaiian bread if we want to. I mean, you know, it's some of those things that, you know, no one can judge us in regard to these things. None of these things save us. 
And when it says that they were a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ, I always like the analogy of if, if my wife were to go away on a trip, I mean, she came home and I was waiting for her to come home. I was excited for her to come home. And then my wife showed up on the front porch and then I hugged the shadow, right? There was a shadow of my wife on the front porch and I just started hugging her shadow. She'd probably leave and y'all would be like, he went crazy. I Maybe mean, something's not right. Like you wouldn't hug the shadow when the real thing is there. She's here. I would hug her. And now it'll be a bigger shadow of both of us hugging, right? So that's what they've done here. They're hugging the shadow. And Jesus said, look, the substance was me. You missed the you missed the big deal when I showed up, but you're still hugging the shadow, the different rituals and whatnot. Now, verse 18, look at it says. So first we got let no one judge you. Now we have let no one cheat you. Verse 18 says, let no one cheat you out of your reward. So we have rewards coming to us. Y'all know that as believers? God is so good, right? So he would save us give us gifts and callings and give us things to do that are eternally rewardable. And so he said, look, don't let anybody cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility in worship of angels, intruding into those things, which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So let me say this. There's a way to serve God where God says, I reward that, right? We get some hints in the scriptures. He told the disciples in the gospel, in Matthew's gospel, look, when people persecute you and say all manner of evil against you, faulty for my name's sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. He told us in James, if you endure temptation, you'll receive a crown for that. Throughout scripture, he tells us, look, if you do these things, you get rewarded. So there's, there's things we can do that there's eternal reward for having lived that way, having done these things. But he says, there ain't no reward on spiritual pride. There's no reward on, you know, worshiping angels. So y'all know that there are groups. I don't want to pick on any group, but I'm going to say it because that's what I'm called to do. Right. In the Catholic church, they worship angels and there are other denominations and groups. The Mormon church, they got the, the angel Moroni supposedly gave Joseph Smith the bogus message of the Mormon church. So you got people that are looking at angels. Paul said this. Paul said, if even an angel of God comes to you preaching another gospel other than what I preach, he said, let him be accursed. And that word accursed in the Greek is anathema. It means damned to hell. He said, even if an angel comes with a different gospel than this one, let him be damned to hell. Like that's a damnable message. It won't save. It won't help. It will lead you to destruction. So we don't worship angels. We don't pray to angels. First Timothy chapter two, verse five says that there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Who do I go to to get to God? Jesus. Do you pray to your guardian angel? You do not. Do you have one? Yes, you do. But do you pray to him? No, you don't. You pray to God through Jesus Christ. That's the mediator. I got access to the father through the son and the power of the spirit. That's how we interact with the Lord. And so be careful of anything, any religion, any group that would encourage you looking elsewhere. If you're looking to angels, don't look to angels. I'm grateful for them, but I don't, we don't worship them, right? They're created beings just like we are. So it said, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, right? There can be a, an era aura of, of just false humility, you know, just 
things that when people are cocky and puffed up about spiritual things, God says, look, if you serve like that, you'll be cheated out of your reward. Don't anybody cheat you out of your reward. Don't let anybody convince you that you're better than other people. And that's why I try to keep it, keep us all on the same playing ground, right? None of us get to be a big deal because of you, the, the moment you think it's you, you're no longer serving in a way that God can bless. Understand that? So the moment you start thinking that I'm a big deal, I got this. I'm about to show out spiritually. God's like, none of that's rewardable. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Colossians, this book is a letter penned by the Apostle Paul. We find him sitting in a Roman prison where he just received news that the church in Colossae was being infiltrated with false teaching that went against the very nature of Jesus. How dangerous would it be to start believing that Jesus wasn't who he said he was and is? This was why Paul confronted this issue and reminded the Colossian church that God's sufficient for all we need. When we think we can't go on, he gives us endurance. When you feel like you've messed up one too many times, he takes it away by his blood. When you're in doubt, he gives you peace. If you've ever felt these ways before, there's hope in Jesus, friends. And the more you dive into his word, you'll find this to be true. In fact, if you visit our website, calvaryinglewood.org, we have a daily Bible reading plan just for you. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. If you've got any questions or simply need someone to talk to, we're waiting. Just call 310-245-4811. Our prayer is that as you walk through life, you have a deep personal relationship with Jesus. So commit this number to your memory, 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood out of Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today. This has been A Transforming Word.